two difficult questions that nobody wants to ask. Was the captain doing anything in this duo? I think Tennille was really carrying that show. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man whose childhood dream was to be both the captain and Tennille, my brother Mike. Hey, love. Love will keep us together. Let's get honest, though, for a second, people. Two difficult questions that nobody wants to ask. Was the captain doing anything in this duo? I think Tennille was really carrying that show. And then after that, also, who made this man a captain? Is he is he a captain like Colonel Is that Sanders an official rank? I don't think okay. so. Like, yeah. I think Colonel Sanders' rank is an official rank. I think I don't there was some sort of, I, yeah. No, oh, it's not? No, no. Is that an honorary just thing? Like, I, think, I think like in the South back in the day, they would just call people colonel. I don't oh, think okay. he was actually a colonel of anything. All right. So, All yeah, right. I, you know, like uh, Captain Crunch. He's The captain is a captain like <laughs> Captain Crunch is a captain, okay? So, hey, hey, that Neil, man served with honor, hey, okay? Neil, so, you got it, girl, okay? Yeah. Captain, quit riding coattails, all right? Okay. All right. Uh, well, sadly, I'm sure we'll... We'll hear from somebody's lawyer here before too long. Um, on this week's episode, <laughs> though, we will discuss what has been an unspeakably insane week from the Kansas City Royals. We're going all the way back. What's weird is a lot of drama, a lot of excitement. It kind of feels like last week was a hell of a year. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's just, it's been, I, I think back to like, well, what are all the things we need to cover? And I'm like, the Drew Waters trade? Did that happen this decade? It feels like so long it ago. It feels like a month and ago. So, yeah. Oh, I just it's nuts. But yes, that didn't happen. In fact, happened within this week. We're coming to you a day late a little bit because we were covering the draft with uh, Royals Farm Report and Kansas City Sports Network and all those guys. That's another thing that happened this week, along with a billion other things. But man, it has been quite the week, hasn't it, Mike? Two series, the draft, the drama over vaccinations and getting into Canada, the comments by Whit Merrifield, the waters trade, the speculation on trades for other guys. I mean, yeah, if it, it felt like a month, it has been quite, quite a week. And so we'll, we'll try and catch you up on all that stuff. We'll try and dig into each one of those things to some degree. We'll also dig into the results of this 2022 MLB draft during our spotlight segment before previewing the series, because there's going to be more baseball coming up here starting Friday. And so we'll try and preview the series of the Rays and the um, Detroit, no, the Los Angeles Angels. Los Angeles, yeah. See how crazy it's making my mind right now. But anyway, let's dig into some baseball. We'll start last week talking about roster news. We'll try and go chronologically because there was a ton of roster news last week. We'll start with that Drew Waters trade. The Royals traded their 35th pick in the 2022 MLB draft to the Atlanta Braves for Drew Waters, Andrew Hoffman, and CJ Alexander, three prospects, one of whom in Waters was a top 50 prospect at one time. Hoffman was just drafted in 2021, has had really good success in the minor league so far. And then CJ Alexander is a little bit of an older prospect, 26-year-old in double A, sort of a lottery ticket. Mike, how do you feel about that trade? People were excited about it when it first happened. Maybe got a little less excited when the shine wore off and they were sort of sad for losing that 35th overall pick. How do you feel about it? After seeing some of the guys the Royals took in the draft, I kind of am even more liking it um, because you and I have said this. If if you had gotten Waters with that 35th pick or Hoffman with that 35th pick, you'd be ecstatic. You got both of them. And so you're not going to get guys that are that advanced at that 35th pick. They're going to be just as big a gamble or more of a gamble, really, than both of those guys have been. Drew Waters has at least shown it in lo- in in A ball. Right. Hoffman has shown it in a ball and been successful at that level. There's no guarantee a guy that you get at 35 is even going to show it at a ball. So, 
I mean, let's be honest. We took Asa Lacey top five. Has he really shown anything in the minors? I mean, he's been hurt a lot, but you never know. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the trade and I've been saying that the whole time. And then, you know, Alexander is kind of a throw in kind of a lottery ticket, but you know, he's a guy that if you'd taken him in the fifth round and said, Hey, here's the the power that he has in his bat and he's something to, to dream on. You'd be okay with that. So yeah, I'm totally all for it. Yeah. I think sometimes people are just too excited by what is unknown. You know, they, they can dream on a 35th overall pick. It's harder to sort of, get excited about a guy when they tell you, Hey, he hasn't really hit yet at the upper minor, minor league levels. You know, he's, he's sort of a prospect who's lost a lot of status like Drew Waters has. Well, yeah, but this is a trade specifically designed to lean into the strength of your hitting development. So you get a guy like Drew Waters, who is very, very capable of being an everyday center fielder, very good glove in center field, who, if his bat comes around, if you can teach him a better approach, if you can help with his launch angle could be a, perennial not a perennial all-star well I mean I guess the the tip top of his ceiling is sort of an all-star then yeah you got to be excited about that because the power is there in his bat he hits the ball hard enough he just needs to stop striking out so much make some more contact and and hit more line drives guess what Drew Saylor's great at doing that for guys so if Drew Saylor can turn him around you have a really really good player in in Drew Waters and oh yeah Hoffman might be a back end of the rotation guy too you know and there's there's some people who like Hoffman better in that deal there are. There yeah. are people who think yeah. he's really the centerpiece of this deal. Now, the Royals have said that they view Waters as the centerpiece, but Hoffman is, is has a lot of uh, prospect status right now as well. A guy who really pitched well in, in a high A and you know looks like he could really be a solid back end of the rotation piece and a guy who has much better to command than a lot of guys in the Royal system. And I think they're looking and ready for a guy who throws strikes and that that's his type of thing. Not tremendous stuff from Hoffman, but he's got a little bit of deception to his delivery and he throws strikes. And I think they're really ready for a guy who throws strikes in this system. And so really happy with the trade. We don't know what these guys will end up being, but you know, we'll see. I, I think there's a little more certainty with these guys than with a guy at, you know, the 35th overall pick who may never even make it to the upper minors. Well, Ian Ritchie was the 35th overall pick. Ian Ritchie, a guy that I liked, a high schooler out of Washington. So just take a look at what he does going going forward. He, he's he got a lot of potential, so I don't want to say that he's going to be bad or anything, but who knows? You just never know with a high school arm or, or anybody that you're going to get at 35. So uh, I'm, I'm completely fine with that. The news of the Drew Waters-Andrew Hoffman trade got relatively quickly swept off the front pages for the Royals uh, when their um, series with Detroit ended and they it was announced that they would have 10 players on the restricted list who were unable to enter Canada because they had not been vaccinated. Those 10 players, Brad Keller, Brady Singer, Dylan Coleman, Andrew Benintendi, Whit Merrifield, Cam Gallagher, MJ Melendez, Kyle Isbell, Hunter Dozier, and Michael A. Taylor. Just saying that list makes me realize how long that list is. And so you're talking about a team that I think no other team uh, before that had had more than four guys on the restricted list who were unable to enter to Canada. The Royals had 10. That was shocking news to a lot of people, angered quite a bit, quite a few people. And then comments from players like Whit Merrifield did not help things. He seemed to throw gas on the fire saying, suggesting that he would get vaccinated maybe, or would reconsider getting vaccinated if he were traded to a contender and, and then, and needed to like go to the Toronto to play in the playoffs and things like that. Mike, just tell us your take on that whole drama, that whole situation there. This is the only thing I'm going to say about this because you and I've been talking about it on Twitter and on, in other arenas and things like that. 
as as a group, okay, when the the idea that we had a vaccine against COVID came out, the idea was that hey, this is something that you can do for your family, for your community, for your country to help end this nightmare, right? You can do this one simple thing. It's not like World War II. We weren't asking people to start going working into factories and or growing freedom gardens or rationing sugar or anything like that. All you got to do is get this shot. And they chose, and these guys all chose not to do that, right? And so I don't know why we're necessarily surprised when they're not willing to do it for their teammates, right? Like, like if you want to think of that, and I think a lot of people see that as a selfish move. And I've heard this so much, like, how do you not stand up for your teammates and, and go do this because you're dedicated to winning? And I understand that completely, but they weren't willing to do it for their family. They weren't willing to do it for their community, their country. Why would they be willing to do it for their coworkers? You know? So some people I think are very angered because they see it as a selfish move. And a lot of people are seeing it as a selfish move because they're letting down their teammates or maybe the fan base. But think about what it was when it was, hey, we might be able to slow down this pandemic or whatever. So, you know, I wasn't surprised that the number was that high. I, there, were, there were some guys I was surprised on the list. Um, I wasn't surprised at what Merrifield's comments either. Uh, and that, you know, I've never, and you, you put it really great. You said the other day on Twitter, we don't know any of these guys. And so I don't ever sit back and think, man, he's a swell person because then you get crushed. Right. And so they say, never meet your heroes. Right. That's why none of these guys are my heroes. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's, right. uh, it was really disappointing to see, but exciting. And we'll talk about yeah. why it was exciting, exciting here in a second. Yeah, so that was the big point that I sort of made on Twitter is you because immediately after Whit Merrifield came out with his comments and people were very upset and all that sort of stuff, rightfully so to some degree. Nikki Lopez came out and was saying, "Well, I'm ready to step up and be a leader for these young guys who have to come up and play and that sort of stuff." And everybody sort of moved all their affection and affinity for Whit Merrifield and placed it onto Nikki Lopez. He's like, "Oh, I love to see that He's such a leader." Blah blah blah. I'm like. You're doing the same thing you did with with Whit Merrifield. It's like you you thought you knew this person when in fact you do not know this person. You don't know Nikki Lopez anymore any more than you know Whit, knew Whit Merrifield. And so what we need to understand is that like if you disagree with their decision, if you agree with their decision to get vaccinated, either way, you do not know this person and you you can't know this person. All you can know is the image that they show you. Okay. Occasionally they may say something that, you know, you disagree with or they may do something that you really love. Either way, it's all a very filtered, very manufactured persona that you're getting fed. And that's why people sometimes ask me, well, why don't you guys have like players on the show? Why don't you interview coaches and play? This is why we don't do that, right? We don't interview players and coaches because we aren't interested in their version of who they are. We're just interested in the play, right? We just care about what they're doing on the field. We just care about those sorts of things. That's what interests us more than anything. I'm not here to pass judgment on those 10 guys, but it was interesting to get to see some guys come up and play and that sort of stuff. But I mean, you also aren't immune, just like you're not immune from COVID for, after you've not been vaccinated. You're not immune from criticism once you decide, once you make that decision and, and then very publicly sort of have no choice but to address it. And so, it, you know, it is what it is. We've moved on. People were excited for that. I think people will forgive and forget and all that sort of stuff. It's it's all baseball. Nobody's going to really hold them to the fire or anything. And, and some of these guys are going to be gone anyway. But, you know, it is what it is. And we're moving on, I think. And I think an important thing to say there is some players can put exactly who, the, who they are out there. They can do that. The problem is you can never know what is what is them and what is the manufactured them that they're letting you see or that their publicist has decided to tell them to be or anything like that. So 
you know, I, you know, we all love Salvador Perez. You know, I love Salvador Perez. The image that I've ever seen of Salvador Perez is that he's a wonderful person. But if it comes out tomorrow that he's a terrible person, you're going to be like, oh man, you're going to be crushed when you shouldn't be. Deshaun Watson's the greatest example, right? Everybody loved Deshaun Watson in, in the Houston community because he did so much charity and so many things for that community. Well, then it comes out that Deshaun Watson is probably a scumbag. And it's like, hey, you know, what do you, <laughs> you can't, you can't fall for it every single time. Right. You exactly. got to realize what you're seeing is manufactured in many, many cases. And so not, not just I'm, by I'm the really players excited. themselves. Not just yeah, by the players and the teams players. themselves. It's by a media machine that just loves these narratives, right? They love the, mm-hmm. oh, he's such a good person narrative. And it's like so many well-worn narratives and archetypes are leading us to believe that these people are, you know, saints and and, and just a- exceptional young men and young leaders. And it's like, no, like it doesn't matter what they say, you know, that it it's easy to say lots of stuff. And so just, you know, focus more on the play, focus more on what they're doing on the field and just try not to care whether or not, you know, they're, you know, and, and I don't mean that in a callous way. We should care about victims of crimes. We should care about uh, all that sort of stuff. We should show them compassion, but we should and never we should appreciate the work that they do in the community. That's great. It's great exactly. that you're doing That's that. That's fine to appreciate for... it, but yeah, but don't let that set a narrative in your mind that this person is ultimately, you know, who you think he is because you have no idea. And I have no idea. Yeah. Mike has no idea about most things. So, you know, yeah. it's fine. No. Um, no. Those 10 players were replaced by another 10 players, 10 minor league players. <laughs> it's like a, it's, it's like a freaking little league basketball game where you bring five out and put five. In. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cyber the B team guys. Yep. Let's get us some playing time. Uh, Freddie Fermin, Sebastian Rivero, Nick Prado, Michael Massey, Mikhail Garcia, Nate Eaton, Brewer Hickland, Angel Zerpa, and Carlos Hernandez all made it up to me, the major league level to play in that Toronto series. Uh, Gabe Spire was also activated from the IL in the middle of that Toronto series. And so was Josh Stalmont. Um, so those guys ended up, I don't think we saw Spire in that Toronto series. We I did don't see Stalmont so. once, yeah. but it was cool to see those young guys and fans really got excited, especially after that first win uh, to see the young players play, to get up and w- see their energy. Yeah. They were making mistakes, but they were also doing some cool things. And so fans were excited to see a lot of those guys, especially Nick Prado and maybe even Nate Eaton a little bit. I think p- fans were kind of excited to see him hit. Uh, Mike, what do you think about how those young guys and uh, what you saw from them? It's friggin' awesome, man. Seeing Nick Prado get to that high fastball and take it out, you know, seeing uh, Nate Eaton hit that home run in front of his parents in Toronto um, and play a, a pretty solid center field, which I was a little bit skeptical about for him. Uh, but he looked pretty good to me uh, to see Michael Massey collect a few hits. You know, it, it was really great to see that. And yeah, it, when you're talking about, you get put in a situation like this to get something out of it, to see Angel Zerpa throw a decent game uh, when he got the start. Uh, I mean, it was, it was just really cool. And I think the excitement that you saw in the dugout, when those things were happening, when Vinny hits that home run and extras to give them the lead, even though ultimately they lose the game, the excitement and the energy that's going on on the bench or every time somebody gets their first hit in major league baseball and guys are going nuts. It's um, it's really good to see that life and that energy. What it means is those guys that we, we, you and I, and a lot of other people have been calling to be traded. Now you don't think it hurts that much on the field to see that. Do you really think if Michael A. Taylor gets traded, it's going to mean that much of a difference on the field now? Or if, if, I mean, I know Ben intendi has been a great offensive producer, but that team looked as competitive as any team we've put out there this year. And they, they were making mistakes. That is for sure. And they still looked as competitive against a very good team. So yeah. yeah tell I, me that, I like tell it. me that Michael Massey couldn't produce as much as what Merrifield right now. I, I think he could. I think he definitely could. I think he could play just as good a second base for sure. And then I think 
yeah, he could, I think he could produce roughly what what Merrifield has up to this point. I know Merrifield's gotten hot. He's like a 116 weighted runs created plus in the last 220 at bats or something like that, 220 plate appearances. But yeah, I, I'm not convinced that this team of you know young players, if, if they were brought up and so forth, couldn't be just as good as a team that has Andrew Benintendi, Michael A. Taylor, and Merrifield on it. And so you know, we'll see moving forward how quickly those guys are traded, if they're traded and, and all that. I don't want to sort of put the cart before the horse here. But let's talk a little bit about the week overall. The Royals went four and four. They played eight games in the seven in the seven day week last week. They that brings their overall record to 36 and 56. They're hovering right around 20 under 500 all the time. They win three of four from Detroit. Take a few steps forward. They lose three of four to uh, Toronto. They take a couple steps back. It's always hovering right around that 20 under 500 mark. Mike, you mentioned that you really like to see the young players and the way they look. We did see the sort of excitement and the, the flip side of that, the mistakes. So you saw things like quite a few defensive mistakes out there, especially from Bobby Wood Jr., who I'll talk about a little bit later this week. You saw some base running mistakes from guys like Brewer Hicklin and things like that. It was, it was a Prado got picked off at first in that, in that game too. Prado I, gets picked off. It's, a, it's some small things that very much look like young people, mistakes, young player mistakes, but it was an exciting brand of baseball. It was fun to see that these guys can compete at that level because you're right. They were in all of those games. They give them a better bullpen. They win two of those games because Piomps blew that one in the 10th. I mean, that yeah. was, that was not on the young players. Didn't they even put record themselves an in position to win. <laughs> no. Uh, and they were 2-2 going into the 8th or ninth inning of that last game of the Toronto series, and the bullpen blew that one as well. And so, you know, a competent bullpen gives them a, at least a split and maybe three out of four from Toronto from this young team. Some of that was good starting performances from Chris Bubich, uh, a competent performance from who pitched in that, uh, that third game? Well, Zerpa, Zerpa, Zerpa had a, a he, decent start. Yeah. He got the he, – he, they won that yeah, game. That the um, I, can't, I can't think – oh, maybe it was Daniel Lynch. Daniel Lynch, it wasn't a great start from him, but he – he did enough. And then, you know, the bullpen was okay for a little while. Um, and so, you know, we had some, some good looking performances from young players this week. So Mike, tell us about a young player that you really liked to see a hit this week. Well, he wasn't, he's not super young, <laughs> but he's uh, pretty Edward young. Olivares, yeah, he's, he's uh, pretty young. Uh, Edward Olivares continues to be a guy that they're, they're putting now in many different spots in the lineup against lefties. Sometimes he's leading, he was leading off in Toronto and things like that. It's really weird. Um, I still don't know if he's going to be an everyday guy in the outfield, but boy, I would love him as a guy, a platoon guy. Like he, he kills left-handed pitching. And so I, I think he's going to be, he's got to be some kind of a bat for you in the future. He went six for 21 this week with two walks and uh, four RBI two walks for him is actually pretty good for a week. And so if his eye lately has been a little bit more, his approach has been a little bit more patient recently. So he's been taking a little bit more, a few more walks and if he can continue to do that, the value of an Edward Olivares is now through the roof because he still hits line drives like crazy. The guy really hits the ball hard, and you know that's very valuable. I, I don't know if he'll play every day, but you have to at least get him in some sort of platoon situation where he's the kind of guy you, you want to get 300 to 400 at-bats in a year. Right. And he's the type of dude who, well, I love, first off, I love seeing him in the leadoff spot because it looks like that help encourages him to be a little bit more patient at the plate to you know, use his eye better just to get on base and draw walks. He looked really good in the leadoff spot there. He's an interesting guy in part because you might be able to trade him to a team that values defense a little bit less if you're really 
convinced that guys like Tyler Gentry will come up and be fine. That, uh, you know, maybe Kyle Isbell will be good. They have some guys in the outfield. They just drafted Gavin Cross. If you think, well, all of ours might be a little surplus and we prefer a better outfielder, a better defensive outfielder, and we have no place for him at DH, you might ultimately trade him to a team that values defense a little less in the outfield or plays in a small outfield ballpark. And you could get a lot for him in return because you're talking about a guy who's right now has an OPS over 800 and has looked very competent at the plate. Teams need offense. Guys can hit. If guys can hit, they can play. And so if you can find a place that you might be able to send him, you might get a lot in return, including some pitching, which the Royals will ultimately need. They're not just going to be trading like veterans and guys on, you know, whose contracts are up. They're going to have to trade some guys, maybe prospects or something like that for established pitching. We'll see if Edward Olivares is on that list because they typically value better defenders in the outfield than he is. But great to see him hit this week. I'm going to talk about another guy. He is definitely a young guy. I'm talking about Nick Prado this week. I thought he really showed out really well in Toronto. He only got to play four games, obviously, but he went four for 14 with one double, one home run, one walk, and four strikeouts. You just saw a really a lot of really professional plate appearances from Nick Prado. And I think on top of that, it was great just to get his feet wet, just to say like, hey, you're, I want to show you what Major League Baseball is about. We're going to send you back down, but you know he's going to be back up real soon. It's going to be another couple of weeks, three weeks. They, they move some guys at the trade deadline, and he's back in Major League Baseball because he looked like he belonged in Major League Baseball. Also defensively, man, I, ju- I just sort of forgot what it was like to have a really competent defensive first baseman. And he just looks really, really good around the bag at first. I love seeing him over there helping guys out and that sort of stuff. He's not the tallest dude over there at first base, but man, he moves really well around the bag. He is a good fielder. (laughs) No, neither is Carlos Santana, but it's, it's just nice to see a guy with really a lot of athleticism and agility over there at first base. So great week from Nick Prado all around. Can't wait to have him up in major league baseball consistently in the lineup, hitting home runs. That'll be a lot of fun. I think both he and Vinny Pasquantino are candidates for when it is a robo ump to get a bump. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because there are times when Nick Prado will flat out say, I am not going to swing at that pitch because it's a little bit outside and he gets called out on those quite a bit. And so I think, especially watching out for Prado there, when robo umps become a thing, possibly in 2024, um, I think you could see him even get elevate his game even more. Well, when, when the shift goes away next year, I'm guessing they take the shift away next year. In which case, Vinny Pasquantino and Nick Prado are going to get an even bigger bump. <laughs> no, Nick, yeah. or Vinny There's Pasquantino going to be a lot especially. Of to do, but, yeah, yeah, there are. But like uh, Vinny Pasquantino especially, Prado doesn't hit the ball on the ground all that often. But Pasquantino will hit their ball on the ground a little bit more. And he'll have a big bump when they get rid of that shift. But you're right. The automated strike zone, I saw Pasquantino get really screwed out of a lot of calls in this Toronto series. And he's just got such a good eye that he'll be he'll do a lot better with a more consistent strike zone that's automated at the very least. And so him, Prado, excited to get those guys both in the lineup. You can really see what this offense is becoming when you see these young guys play. For themes of the week, obviously for me, I think the theme... Uh, uh, weak, weak, weak performers. Oh, sorry. See, I, I was getting ahead of myself. So I don't want to talk about the bat. Negativity is bad. I, get, I got roasted by somebody. Somebody like added me on Twitter and was like, I'm unfollowing Royals Weekly because you guys are too negative. And I'm like... Are we? I feel like we're the most optimistic of anybody. Like the, the team's twenty <laughs> games under five hundred. There's only so much optimism. Say, I we feel can like have. the most optimistic Royals commentator out there, and yet they're like, "You're too <laughs> negative." Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not the Royals PR team over here. I only so many ways to say that they're twenty <laughs> games under five hundred. Uh, Mike, tell us who had a bad performance pitching this week. Uh, my boy Carlos Hernandez, man, he just can't. 
get anything together. Four innings pitch, he gave up four and runs. I guess in the one, in the one sense, he did eat up those innings that they needed him to in that blowout loss. That's a real eight, positive spin on it. Good hit, job. He likes eight <laughs> hits, zero walks, two strikeouts. He gave up a home run. It really maybe looks like Carlos Hernandez either needs a change of scenery where a pitching development staff can actually do something with him or the Royals need to be able to really make some wholesale changes. You and I talked last night about um, possibly being a guy that you could throw a cutter in there or try and teach him a cutter. And maybe that uh, plays better than what his fastball currently does. Cause his fastball, if, when you throw 98 or 99 and it's a bad pitch, there's a problem there, you know? And so maybe you could turn somebody who throws that hard into, into a really hard cutter. And that could be uh, a possible plus pitch, but right now it still looks pretty bad for Carlos Hernandez. I've, I've said this so many times in the past, good organizations get something out of a guy like Carlos Hernandez. And I just don't know that the Royals are ever going to. Yeah. It was rough to see him get roughed up out there. Guy throws real hard, a lot of arm talent, obviously, but they need more. They need somebody to be able they need better pitching development people to work with him and find what his optimal mix is, find what his best pitches are and turn some of these pitches that could be 60 grade into 60 grade pitches. Cause right now they're 50 or 45 grade pitches. So it'll be interesting to see what happens if they end up changing uh, their pitching development regime with guys like Carlos Hernandez. I'm talking about Bobby Witt Jr. as a weak performer this week, not because of the way he hit. He hit okay, but because of the way he fielded. Boy, he had a real, real bad week defensively this week. We have a video about uh, Bobby Witt Jr.'s um, offensive performance and offensive progression up on YouTube right now. Go check out our YouTube channel. Subscribe, comment, rate us. It's, it's, it's uh, I think, a really good video, and I'm excited about people seeing it. But I'm talking about his defense because it has looked really bad lately. He had four errors last week, and it's not that he's he can get to any ball. He can get to so many balls that other guys can't get to. It's that when the balls are hit right to him, sometimes he just makes a mistake. Like, I don't know if it's a mental lapse, if it's like a physical, I'm trying to rush or something, but he's just occasionally not making the plays he should make. And sometimes I try and tell people this sometimes for young guys, it's not the amazing plays that are tough to make. It's the making every single routine play. Because that level of consistency mm-hmm. requires a level of focus, requires just, it, it's tough. It is tough to make every single play that you should make. You know, sometimes it's easier to make the spectacular plays because you're a great athlete and you've practiced them a lot on your own and that sort of stuff. But, you know, I'm, am I worried about them? Not really, because, you know, making those plays consistently comes with maturity, comes with time, comes with that sort of thing. I think eventually he'll get there, but it is tough. It's it's costing, it may have cost them a game this week, actually, because that Chris Bubich start, Booch, I think, ended up with either one only one earned run or no earned runs because Bobby Wood Jr. I think it was none because those two that scored were both on her. <laughs> and and it, it was just you yeah. know it's it's that sort of thing that you can't can't happen if you're going to be uh, an elite shortstop like he's supposed to be. And that's what made Nicky Lopez so successful last year at short was he just made every single routine play. He'll never get to all the balls that Bobby does, but he never makes a mistake on the ones hit to him. Yeah. So, but. Either way, I'm not dampered about the young team. Seeing the mistakes doesn't really um, make my excitement wane in any way. I'm excited for the young players that are, you know, we're getting a chance to see and have seen and will continue to see as the season moves forward, which makes my theme of the week, the future is now, right? Like I am excited because the future is now for the Royals. The young hitters are coming through. The pitchers have pitched a little bit better recently. Bubich has looked good since he came back up. Singer's looked good lately. You know, it's it's exciting to see that, you know, this has been a 500 baseball team for the last month, which is exactly what we thought they would be. This is the future we thought we were going to see at the beginning of the year, and I'm ready for it. I'm excited for it. I'm excited to get more of those young guys up because, frankly, the future is now. 
Yeah, and I agree with that. And that kind of plays into my theme. Don't let it hit you where the good Lord split you. Next up on Howdy Doody, Mike uh, shares his folksy yeah. wisdom <laughs> with the rest of the world. But that's the thing. Like, I, I just want, you know, I'm ready for those guys that we think should be traded to be traded. You know, I, I appreciate what Merrifield for the good years that he put together for really bad teams. He made some games very watchable that, in other words, would not have been. But it's time for him to go. Michael A. Taylor, I appreciate the improvement that you've done. And Andrew Benintendi, the improvement that you've made. And you're both welcome for the Royals signing you guys and giving you the opportunity to improve your value. Go on to those other teams, finish out your contracts, and get those bigger free agent deals. I, I hope both of you get big money. But I want to see Nate Eaton. I want to see Nick Prado. I want to see Michael Garcia more than, than what we got to see him. You know, I want to see some of these guys up here playing on a regular basis. Let them get their lumps in. Let them make their mistakes. It's time to move forward. It's really, really, really important that you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever platform you use. Comment on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Give us a thumbs up or a, a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and lets us know that we're doing something right and you want us to produce more content. Plus, Mike gets all of his self-esteem from our subscriber numbers, so help him feel better about himself and smash that subscribe button. It's free. It takes about half a second, but it does us a world of good and make it makes Mike feel better about himself. Isn't that what you're really going for? Yeah, and I need that right now, people. He so. really does. He really. It's dark days over there for him. Uh, mm -hmm. So make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. We're putting out all sorts of new additional content on there. We post a ton of stuff. I've just now learned how to use Instagram and I feel like I'm, I'm a free at last. And so, you know, it's going to go nuts. It's going to go crazy. I just had this uh, image of you as an old person. I just now you learned how to use the Instagram. Grab I'm gramming it. Um, yeah. So make sure you're following us on Instagram. Make sure you're subscribing on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter, all that sort of stuff. And subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. It will do so much good for Mike and for you. The 2022 MLB draft has come to an end almost not actually when we're recording this, but by the time you listen to this, it might have, um, there were risers, fallers, fallers, surprises, and all that sort of stuff. The first 10 rounds are now over. So we can talk about most of the players, the big money players, the Royals have taken. There was some insanity with that Kumar rocker pick. You remember that? That was just nuts out of yeah, nowhere, but now the Texas Rangers, pretty smart, by uh, them. but now seems pretty brilliant because they were able to sign Brock Porter. Good job. Uh, former Royal Chris young there just uh, taking care of business in Texas. Uh, but now that we have a chance to breathe a little bit, let's talk about that 2022 Royals draft class, or at least the first 10 picks of it. We'll start, of course, at the top of day one. Day one, they selected Gavin Cross, a 21-year-old outfielder from Virginia Tech. Mike, tell us what you like and don't like about Cross and that pick. Well, I like that Cross hits the ball really hard. He's got really high uh, exit velocity numbers, average exit velocity numbers, like the peak exit velocity stuff. He hits the ball really hard. I don't like that he doesn't hit enough balls out of the park. So you might be thinking, if he hits the ball really hard, how do they not leave the park? He has a really flat bat path. He hits a lot more line drives than he does lofted balls to get them out of the yard. He is a good athlete. I would say above average athlete. Played center field for Virginia Tech. Probably not a center fielder long term for the Royals. He'll probably move to right with just an average arm and right probably. But here's the thing that kind of gets me. It's all opportunity cost, right? So we had the opportunity to draft Cam Collier to draft some of these guys that 
Jace Young was the guy that I was really looking forward to. Or Cam Ke- Collier, Kevin Parada also on the board there. I wasn't as high in Kevin Parada, but Jace Young or Cam Collier would have been either one of those, I think would have been a better pick because of the upside. I think they both have more upside when it comes to offensive baseball. And so um, I like the, I don't hate the pick. I don't dislike it, but it didn't uh, make me excited about anything. See, I think the offensive upside is exciting and interesting for Gavin Cross because he has the athleticism and because you know he has the strength. All he needs really is a slight mechanical tweak to get that ball more lofted. And we know that Drew Saylor is good at doing that. He's done it for Tyler Gentry. He's done it for Nate Eaton. He's done it for other guys in this system. So I think there's a good chance he does it for Gavin Cross. Gavin Cross starts lofting the ball more with his, I don't want to call his approach advanced. It is advanced, or he showed an advanced approach this year, but this is like the only year we've really seen it from him, like that really good approach. So it's too small of a sample size to really say it's a real advanced approach from him. It's a good approach. He doesn't walk nearly as much as you would hope. He's a little bit of a free swinger there, but. Yeah, it's not like a a Vinny Pasquantino. No. Or or Nick Prado. It's like, um. It's closer. I'm trying to think of a guy that it might be better. I think Alex Gordon maybe is a better, is a better comp for his approach. It's a a thing where it's like, yes, he's going to swing at balls that are out of the zone. And sometimes, and he'll even put some of those in play because he's got a decent hit tool for that. Um, well, that's Edward but Alvarez. Still I mean, Edward Alvarez. Yeah, but, good... but he he doesn't swing as much out of the okay. zone as, as okay. Alvarez probably. So, okay. How about um, Michael yeah, Massey? It, Michael Massey's a guy oh, yeah. who, who that's, likes that's to a swing. Good one. Yeah, yeah. Michael Massey's a guy one. who likes to swing Both quite left-handed. a bit. That's that's a good mm-hmm. one. Yeah. The other thing that scares me a little bit about him is, and Drake and I actually talked about this uh, last night when we were at Kingdom Bar and Grill. He he does open up with that front shoulder a little bit. So I am going to wonder how he hits against lefties, you know, especially on stuff breaking stuff down and away. That that's a little scary to me, but you know, that's all adjustments that can be made. So yeah, not a finished product offensively. And that's what I actually, I think he is advanced enough that they could put him in, in quad cities in high a, if they wanted to, I think he'll go to Columbia, maybe mash there for a few weeks and then go to quad cities. But he's the type of guy who is advanced enough offensively that you can get excited and maybe expect him to move a little quickly, but who isn't so advanced that he's tapped out. I think if they make those mechanical adjustments, if they sort of work on his approach a little bit, you're talking about a guy who could be a middle of the order bat. You hit the ball that hard. You have the potential to hit it out of the ballpark. Okay. We know that that's the case. He just needs to find the loft on it. And so I'm excited for that. I'm excited that he has a defensive floor that you know that wherever you put him in the outfield, he's at least going to be probably no worse than slightly below average. Maybe in center field at Kaufman, he would be because that's a lot of ground to cover for him. He just doesn't have the short burst quickness to cover enough ground to stay in center in Kaufman, but a guy who could be plus defender in the corners. And so, you know, you're at least going to be a plus defender in the corners. You're probably going to have a good chance to hit something like 280, 290 in the major, at the major league level with 20 to 25 home runs at least. Right. And that's that's a really competent middle of the order bat, a really good get at nine, I think. So I'm excited more than I was yesterday. I gave it a a B grade yesterday when we were covering the draft with the Royals Farm Report and the Kansas City Sports Network people at Kingdom Bar and Grill. I think I would even up that to maybe like a a B plus or an A minus today. See, I think he's more of like a 15 home run guy who, if they can add some loft to his swing, gets to that 25 threshold. Okay, I don't think he's got the 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 consistent power and loft to get. More than 15, 10 until, to 15 in, in. Until they unlock until it. Until an adjustment. Wait, until, yeah, they until, until they unlock yeah. it. <laughs> in the second round, the Royals went with another college bat in Caden Wallace, a third baseman from Arkansas. What do we know about him, Mike? What do you like about him? What do you what do you question uh, about Caden Wallace? What we know about him is that he's a, a right-handed power bat from uh, Arkansas. 
and he's a draft eligible sophomore. So he's a year younger than Gavin Cross. I think he has more easy power than, than Gavin Cross. He gets more loft. Now, when you look at the home run numbers, they're almost exactly the same. You do have to realize that uh, Wallace played in the SEC, a little bit, little bit tougher competition than, than what uh, Cross did. But um, the pa- you see there's a little bit few more doubles. Like the power that you watch in, in Wallace's bat is, is top-notch. It's really good. The problem is the swing and miss. He's got uh, quite a bit of swing and miss, which is why the Royals could get him at 49. And so the other thing is he plays third base. He's, he's a good athlete, quick guy, but he hasn't had a whole lot of time at third base. So he needs some polish at third base. He's got a really strong arm, though. You know what he kind of reminds me of? The swing kind of reminds me of Jonathan India. When oh, that's out, a, that's a good him? good comp for the, the swing, swing there. I like that a lot. Yeah, really looked, looks alike to me. Now, Jonathan India was a much more polished college hitter coming out and played a really, really good third base. He was just more polished player all around than what Caden Wallace is. But, um, you know, I think the swing looks very similar and they play the same position and the body even looks similar. Like, um, and so, yeah, I, I, he's actually the guy that they've taken that I'm highest on. And so, yeah, well, I think can, Wallace was a tremendous pick yeah. at 49. I think if, if this, if the strikeout numbers aren't slightly higher than, than like Gavin crosses, then you're talking about a guy who's going in the top 15, maybe, um, in, in the first round. And so that allowed him to drop all the way to 49 because, but, but the athleticism is there. The swing is there. The, the power is there. I, I really like the all fields approach from him. He is, he has yeah. that opposite field power mm-hmm. really hits the ball well into the right center field gap. Just a guy who w- really, you love the swing. And like, like Mike said, draft eligible sophomore. So a little bit younger. And you're talking about a guy with still a ton of potential. I, I mentioned it last night. I thought this was an a pick, uh, an a grade from them. And I love teams. I love that the Royals are interested in taking draft eligible sophomores who are guys who look like if they fix one thing, they're going to be top 10 picks next year. They go ahead and take them a year early when they're still draft eligible sophomores. You work on that thing with them because you have a good hitting coordinator. You have good hitting player development. Just a lot more resources. Into it. Yeah. <laughs> a lot more resources. And you can lean into that and get so much out of them. Like, and so this is a really great, I mean, it would not surprise me if Wallace ends up being just as good, if not better than Gavin cross, because he has all the tools, all the talent. And I said this last night, I think his ceiling is higher. Could be great at third base, yeah. a really good arm on him, man. It's good. He's a powerful player an agile player could be good in third, could be good in a corner outfield spot. He played outfield some as a freshman. So yeah, I think that's a, just a, home run pick for the Royals at 49 got really excited after day one. I was a little less excited about some of the things they did on day two uh, with some of their, you know, a third through 10th round pick. Um, But we'll talk about that here in a second. There was a real trend for the Royals overall to take college players and it was college bats early. Then it was some college pitching. Like, what do you think about their approach to take college players and then college bats specifically? I've, I've always been a fan, at least recently as draft kind of things changed the, amateur player development and stuff has changed so much in the last 10 years, even, but I'm a fan of taking college bats with advanced approaches. And so if you can get a guy like that early in the draft, that's what I'm like. Gavin cross, I wouldn't say has an advanced approach, but he's got a good approach. Right. And I think you can work really around that. The approach is the, is Wallace's deficit. And it's the reason why he was there at 49. And I'm completely okay with that. You know, I would have probably gone with a Jace young who has the most advanced approach in the draft at nine. Um, but they, they chose to go with the the more predictable defender and valuable defender in cross. And I'm fine with that. Um, the, the stuff that really makes me scratch my head is the college guys they took after Wallace. I, I didn't get 
so many of those. Like so many of that stuff confused me because I'm like, where does he fit? Like, what is your philosophy here that you're putting him into this? Where's the continuity? And I even talked about it last night after they take those first two guys, he goes, Oh, it looks like they got a plan. Like the plan is draft these college hitters, make them valuable. Then they switch to college pitching and just take a whole run of it. It's like, Hmm. Well, that that could, that could be a plan too, right? That could be a plan. If, if their plan is use our, our most valuable picks to take the thing that we can develop in hitting, right? Use our most valuable picks for that. And then, I mean, this is the plan that Alex Duvall of Royals Farm Report really advocated for them to have. Use your most valuable picks on the thing you develop well, college hitting or hitting in general, because they, they do prep hitting well too. Take hitters early, take pitchers later so that you can, because you could, because there's value to be had for pitchers in rounds three through 10 and, and even beyond that. So that's, I think the approach that it looks like in this draft, really, they need to do it in multiple drafts to say, okay, this is their plan really. Um, but you know, it was interesting to see them switch and after day one, start going a lot of college pitchers. I think that it was a, the, the best choice they could make was to take college hitters with these first two and they did it. And I'm happy with that. Right. They got two ones that I consider really good with with some upside to them. And so that's great. Best approach they could take. Let's talk a little bit about that second day today from those the college pitchers that they took. They did take a few more college hitters in this on this second day. Mike, I want you to give me one player you really liked from day two and one player you did not like them taking on day two. Well, let me let me start by saying, like, one of the ideas behind that approach that you just mentioned is. And, and, and Alex says this all the time on Rose Farm Report, that there is no such thing as a pitching prospect because volatility in, in pitching development and drafting is so insanely high. So maybe I'm just not seeing it. I think the thing that I'm fine with that kind of approach, I just think the guys that they took, I don't know if they're the with the ones I would have taken with the guys that were on the board. Right. If that I, I agree with that notion. There are like, other guys on the board, right? And so I thought that tell, there were maybe, guys maybe, that you could have more to do with. So. That being said, one of the guys that I did really like that they took was Hunter Pattison. Okay. He's a big, tall, kind of lanky lefty out of uh, Central Florida. Okay. University of Central Florida. Um, he's coming off of Tommy John, which before that, when he, you know, he, he, he only got, I think, seven starts in this year, but he had an under two ERA striking out the world. I mean, he had like a two strikeout per inning thing going. I mean, it was, it was really insane. High velocity fastball. Has a really good changeup. The the thing that kind of worries me a little bit is the command, okay, and the fact that the third pitch isn't developed really well right now. But you develop that slider is what he throws, and you've got yourself something that you can really work with. Now, that's all halted because he's recovering from Tommy John surgery right now. But that's why you're able to get guys that look that good sometimes later in the draft. So Hunter Pattison is the one I'm really excited about as far as the stuff that he has. And I'm hoping that we can get a little development regime change on the pitching side to help work with him. The guy that really confused me the most was Mason Barnett, which was their third round pick right-handed pitcher has a, a, at Auburn has a deep arsenal, but I, he's a guy that never was able to consistently start at Auburn. Like they would put him in the starting rotation. He'd pitch a game. They put him back in the bullpen and, and stuff like that. And so it's like, wait, he wasn't good enough to crack the starting rotation at Auburn, but we think we can develop and get something out of him. Like I, I'm, I like to anchor on something where, Hey, I can tell this guy is really good at this one thing. I actually like it to be command. Honestly, if it's really command and this guy can one, but he doesn't have that either. He's really inconsistent with his command, inconsistent with his secondary pitches. 
super head scratcher for me on Mason Barnett. Yeah, I think Pipeline gave him a 40 grade for his control, which is not good. And, you know, whoa, yeah, he's the guy I actually <laughs> chose as the pick that I disliked as well. It's the only pick that they had that I was really like, no, like, I, no, like, and uh, there were people speculating that it was done to save money. I know Alex thought that, that it was a money saver and that they did some other. That's what I thought. Some other picks as well that maybe they're going to spend that money elsewhere. Didn't end up happening in the top 10, really. Well, actually, we'll have to see. There were no obvious bigger money players uh, throughout the rest of the top 10. So, like, there were no high school players taken. They took only college players. And typically, you save money to get some guys allured away from college with high school players. So, the Mason Barnett pick doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I mean, it would be one thing if the Royals had a guy or had somebody or had a track record of developing command. Because then you'd be like, hey, take all these you know, uh, high stuff guys and, you know, teach them command and boom, we're, we're a pitching factory, but they don't have that. They actually have the exact opposite of that. And I actually put out on Twitter, like they're making picks as if they have this great track record of refining guys command when they have the exact opposite of a great track record to find, you know, they're bad at it. Guys have gotten worse with their command under the Royals minor league pitching development. And so it's a really head scratcher when you take a guy like Mason Barnett, who, yeah, flashes some stuff sometimes, but looks like he has no pitch ability, no ability to know where the ball is going and really couldn't even find success as a college pitcher. And so, you know, I'm a little bit curious and confused by that one. We'll see if it ends up, you know, maybe we're we have egg on our face. Maybe Mason Barnett becomes the next, uh, you know, Max Scherzer. But we'll see. I have no idea. The pick that I really liked from them was another college hitter that they took a guy named Hayden Dunhurst out of uh, Ole Miss. He's a catcher, a guy who people are very high on his defensive grades. Looks like he can definitely catch defensively. And then a guy who's had some power previously, but whose offense took a big nosedive this year. Like uh, he probably a much higher pick if he hits the same way this year as he did last year, but you know, looked like an everyday catcher coming into this year looks like he's not going to hit enough to stick as an everyday catcher now, but you know, you find a way to get him back to producing offensively. And you're talking about a guy who could be a very serviceable um, defensive first catcher in the major leagues. I thought that was a really good value pick. I think they got him in the fifth round, I want to say. Um, and so, you know, good pick for the Royals. I think I'm a, I'm a fan of the, of the Hayden Dunhurst pick. The only negative that I, I kind of read about him was there are some people who speculate that he has problems with elite velocity that they can throw, you can as throw a pitches as a hitter. You can throw pitches right by oh. him. And so they're, they're worried that maybe he never gets past double a because he struggles with velocity. I don't know. He, you know, he's already a good catcher. So, so did Hunter Dozier and Michael A. Taylor. And, you know, th those are guys who have, if, if he could hit like either one of them, you know, he's a, he's a fine, he's a fine player. Uh, well, he's an so, everyday catcher in major league baseball. Exactly. He is like either one of exactly. Them. And so those are guys who struggled with elite velocity too. We especially remember Michael A. Taylor struggles with it. If you play one of those de premium defensive positions and you play it well, the bar for your offense is much lower. And so I'll be interested to see Hayden Dunhurst as a defensive catcher. I just want to watch him catch a game and see how his receiving skills are, see how his arm is down to, down to second. Um, I think he's a guy who could be really interesting for them and a really good value pick in the fifth round. The Royals get back to work with a three-game series at home against the Tampa Bay Rays on Friday, July 22nd, followed by another three-game set at home against the Los Angeles Angels of um, Uzbekistan or is it Tajikistan or I don't know, some I kind of thing. Calgary. Right now they're playing like they're from Calgary. I'll tell you that right now. Um, Mike, tell us about Tampa Bay. Great team. We're going to get a chance to go to that Angel series. Don't forget, we're going to one of those games. 
That's right. Uh, Tampa Bay is a good baseball organization, ladies and gentlemen. Real uh, good. They are 51 and 41, which is phenomenal, but only good enough for second place in the AL East and still 13 games back at the Yankees because the Yankees are unbelievable right now. Um, they're the only pick out of Oregon State who has a 3.22 ERA, a 1.16 whip. He's got a very interesting pitching profile. He throws a good hard fastball, averaging 96, but he's got a nice cutter. Uh, averaging 91 and he's he likes to throw those two fastball and cutter which if you throw a really good cutter as uh, mariana rivera proved you really really don't have to throw anything else he does have a slider and a changeup, um but he likes to use the fastball and the cutter he doesn't go <laughs> deep into games four or five innings is usually about how deep he goes but that may lend itself more to a philosophy of tampa and how they kind of manage their pitchers so uh drew rasmussen will likely pitch against us but that's all that we have so far other than that, they have a solid lineup top to bottom. They're getting good years from Jim Manchoy and Yandy Diaz. Uh, Pitching-wise, Shane McClanahan is on track to be a Cy Young candidate. He is phenomenal. 1.71 ERA, insane stuff from Shane McClanahan. Just another one of the – he's really the the anchor of their pitching development. He's just phenomenal. Uh, Corey Kluber, the guy they didn't develop, the the at the time Indians developed Corey Kluber, having a bounce back year with a 3.73 ERA in – 18 starts, so they've got good starting pitching like they always do, and they're getting enough out of their lineup to be a really good team. The Rays, man, it's, it's like clockwork. You can count on them being good, even though they don't have like big name talent. Every single thing, they're going to be good. You can count on two things with the Rays: they're going to be good, and no one's going to see it because nobody yes. goes. <laughs> <laughs> two things you can count on: they'll be good, and no one in Florida. If the will Rays not. are good, so. but nobody's there to see it, did it really happen? Is my question. Like. um so. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, after the Rays, here's the team that should always be good and never is. <laughs> uh, after the Rays, the Angels will come into Kansas City for the second uh, half of this homestand. Um, you know the Angels. We played them already. A super top-heavy lineup with Taylor Ward and Mike Trout and Shohei Otani up top and a bunch of guys who don't help the team very much at all. And so those three guys are three of the best players in baseball, and they got a six other guys who are not very good. And so also a rotation that has Otani, who is great. Patrick Sandoval, Noah Syndergaard, and Reed Detmers are okay sometimes. You're talking about ERAs around four for the rest of those guys. But uh, other than Otani, it's really nothing special from the Ra- or from the uh, Angels rotation. They also don't have a great bullpen. And so they've done a lot of losing. They're 39 and 53. That's fourth in the AL West. You really hope for more when you have the two best players in baseball uh, in, in the world and a, like not a generational talent that doesn't feel good enough for Otani multi-generational talent uh, one of the maybe the best player in the history of baseball you would expect to be better than 39 and 53 the Angels just have not uh, been very good this year as is tradition here's the cool thing though uh, Lee Summit West's own Monte Harrison should be playing in that series for the Angels is he so, gonna be awesome I think so he, or at least he was before the break he was playing with them so he's one of the best athletes that I've ever seen uh, play and, and you know had an offer from Nebraska to play football um, was a phenomenal basketball player and just a and his brother his brother Shaq is in the NBA um, so they you know just a phenomenally athletic family uh, he was a first round pick of the Marlins I don't think he quite ever developed the baseball skill that they thought he would but he's got power he's got an arm he can run interesting guy they had him in left field the last time I saw We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just A Bit Outside segment where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. A lot of happening in baseball right now. 
lot happening in baseball right now, especially Royals baseball. But let's let's take a breather from baseball and talk about something a little more worldy. Yeah, take a breath. Exhale. exhale. Mike, tell us what's been happening in your life outside the world of baseball. Well, I was so goosed up after the uh, Toronto, these guys can't get in thing. I needed some relaxation. So Friday night, my wife and I and our son went to a friends and family night at the zoo. And what that really means is, like, if you pay to be what they call a friend of the zoo, you can go at after the zoo has closed and get into the zoo and, and do some things for free and and. You know, do some special uh, stuff. This sounds like a cult. Friends of the zoo. Is, Basically, it means I have a pass a cult? to the zoo, and I got to. Is do this it. a cult? Are you in the Illuminati? I'm in. I'm in the zoo cult now. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Um, All right. But this it was is really the Zuminati. Cool. The Zuminati. Yeah. Uh, it was really cool. Zuminati. Zuminati sounds like an Italian guy that like hangs out in Jersey. <laughs> um, you know, you know uh, Zuminati. You know. You know, you're you and your elite clubs over there. Okay. Ah, uh, yeah. We're, you know, we we do it. But I'd say it was awesome because. One, it's outside. Kansas City has so many awesome outside things to do. Secondly, I haven't really been to the Kansas City Zoo all that much in my life, even though we have a summer pass. Uh, my wife has gone a lot, but I haven't gotten to go. And so there's not as many people there on those nights. And so we were walking around, and a lot of times you'd look around, and it was just you and the animals. There was nobody else there. And so it was really cool to see some of the animals. Really cool to be out there when it was a little bit cooler. Um, you know, the zoo's just, it's a lot cooler than it used to be, I feel like, when we were kids. Um, and so it, it, they're building an aquarium out there, which is going to be really cool. And nice. so I, I like the Kansas City Zoo. I like a lot of the things Kansas City offers outside. And that was one that I, I got to appreciate this week. So uh, become a friend of the zoo. It's not that expensive, like 75 bucks for a year. And, you know, you go four times, you've, you've paid for it. So that's, uh, that's what we do. And you get to do special things like that. Become part of my cult. Join the <laughs> Zuminati and Join you will find the Zuminati cult. <laughs> That's right. Uh, All hail Zorp. All hail Zorp. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm going to talk about something less culty. I'm going to talk about this uh, beverage that I've started, I've switched to, I've started drinking. So I am what is, uh, I think, colloquially referred to as a junkie. I love soda and I am addicted to it. I, I cannot stop drinking it. And have had have drank soda since I was a very small child. A lot. Like every if I Thanks, Mom. If I told you how much, you would be like, Are you okay? Um, but and the answer is no, I'm not. I need to stop drinking soda. And so I've decided to switch to this other thing that is called Poppy. That's the brand name. Uh, there are other I think types that's of called this. opium. Yeah, it's called opium. <laughs> no, isn't that made? Uh, that what, isn't that what they no. make out of? Yes, into that poppy? is. Uh, the brand is called Poppy. Uh, there's other ones like it called like Ollie Pop is one of them. You probably heard advertisements for that sort of thing. It's basically like soda, but it has way less sugar uh, than soda does, and and way less of other types of things. But it tastes and has the same sort of feel as soda. And so I found one that's like an orange soda that I really really like. There are other flavors of it that I like too. Uh, and it's just like, it's changing me. I like feel better as a result of not having all this syrup in me and stuff like that. And so I've been drinking it, feeling good about myself that I'm not like, you know, chasing the dragon. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really happy about that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, if you're, if you're like me, you're addicted and you can't kick soda, maybe try something like poppy or Olipop or something like that. It's the closest thing I've ever found to things that actually taste like soda. Because before this, I tried a bunch of stuff where people are like, oh, this is just like soda. I drink it. I'm like, this is garbage. This is nothing like soda. You, you take soda out of your mouth. Like, I'm especially a fan of Dr. Pepper. So I used to have people be like, oh, you should drink this kind. It tastes a lot like Dr. Pepper. It tastes nothing like Dr. Pepper. Okay? Because that's garbage. Um, 
but this is the closest thing that I've ever found to something that actually tastes like soda that isn't nearly as bad for me as soda. I think it only has like two to five grams of sugar as opposed to the like 13 grams or something like that that sugar or that soda has. And so I'm, I'm excited about making this transition. They are expensive, like really expensive. Uh, and so you might have to like ration or limit yourself, but that's good anyway. Drink more water, you know, like all I need is that little fix of poppy. It's like my, and I feel a little bit better throughout the day. And then I can, you know, drink water for the rest of the day and be an actually hydrated person. It's wild how you have become so, you became so addicted to pop and I did not. Like it, it never, that never you happened You drink pop to me. all the time. I don't. I what really don't drink about? that much pop. Like it, I, I will have, even if I go to a, a, a fast food restaurant or somewhere else, I'll get a pop. And I rarely ever drink more than like two or three drinks of it. I just don't drink that much. It's weird. I get, I, now I drink booze. So <laughs> I was going to say, let's go through your cabinets, Captain Evan Williams over here. That's the, All right. That's um, the crux there. I drink the booze. You're addicted to pop. There we go. <laughs> and, and I'm the one who's going to get diabetes, I'm sure. And so, you know, you know, I'm glad I found it. I'm glad that the Royals are going to be back playing again on Friday. We'll have some stuff to talk about. I'm glad that they took some interesting guys to the draft. I'll be interested to see who they take on day three. This is a reminder, subscribe on YouTube, like and comment on YouTube, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. We're going to be putting out a tons of new content. Mike has this awesome video in the works on pitching development. I'm really excited to see that. Make sure you're following us. We're putting out a ton more content. We'll be back next week as we are every week for you. But until then, be good to each other and go Royals. Go Royals.